Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here, Brian Moritz there. And we're happy to be joining you once again. We've had a bit of a hiatus. The start of the semester has done that to us. My uh, abroad trip has done that to us. So uh, I'll take most of the blame because I don't think either of those uh, situations has been true for Brian. I believe that are you guys have you guys started yet? Yeah, we, we're like in week three. Yeah, we oh, started okay. about the same time you did. I, I went to Vermont. Which is not quite as abroad as you went, so um, pretty. I mean, any any state that generates Bernie Sanders is probably pretty abroad. I would say. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a uh, uh, it's definitely get you get your hippie on in Vermont. <laughs> but as a leftist kind of wannabe hippie, it worked out well for me. It was kind of right. It's kind of kind of my my my, my gig. Um, but I, I think what if, what if Vermont had an NFL team? What would they be called? And like, what would the fan be? What would the tailgate look like? All right, <laughs> the tailgate would be amazing. First of all, um, mainly because the the craft beer scene, which I'll get to in a second, in Vermont is outstanding. Huh. I mean, great, great breweries, great. Um, I mean, it'd be a great scene. There would probably be a lot of weed. I'm guessing um, a lot of that's, a lot of poutine. That's um, everywhere, not the poutine yeah. part, but right now the weed and poutine. So I think they would. Let's see, there. What would they be? What would they be? I mean, the Mountaineers is the easy pick, um, but I think you got to go like because they have in Burlington is Lake Champlain is Burlington's right on Lake Champlain, and they have Champy the Lake Monster, which is kind of like the Lake Champlain version of the Loch Ness Monster. Um, and I which think does, which he, doesn't exist, right? Which one, the Loch Ness or the Champy? No, I don't think there's actually a dinosaur living in Lake Champlain. I mean, if there is, I well, really not, want to see it. Loch Ness monster doesn't exist either. Why? why well, a minute in, and you're crushing dreams. I think I, so. I think they could be like the the, the lake monsters because I think it's with the minor league baseball team. I think they have a a short season A team that's like the lake monsters or something like that. I think that'd be a cool one. Uh, I think that'd be a cool nickname if they had an NFL team. Um, what but, city? Oh, it's got to be. Well, let's see. So Burlington is the main city, but I could see that if you, you kind of go south because, you know, it's Burlington's a smaller, smaller city. UVM doesn't have a football. No, they don't have a football team. Um, and so you have enough open spaces for like to build a big stadium, but the mountains make it. I, so I'm, I would guess like a Shelburne or a, or a South Burlington for, for, for the for the uh, for the city. Um, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so Lake Monsters I think would be good. Um, yeah, I'm going. I'm going with that for Mount Lake Monsters for, right. the, for the NFL expansion team, which would still be better than either of the teams we root for this year. Which right, I know we're going to be talking about at length here. Um, so, um, so yeah, you went abroad. So I think, by the way, I think we're offic- I'm officially uh, making an executive decision and calling this season six. Oh wow! Um, well, because we had about we had about a mo- almost a full month since our since our last episode since our summer run, and so I think I think we can firmly enmesh this in in uh, in season six here. So this is like um, Game of Thrones now, where we just like we go for as long as we have episodes, and then we end. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I that that's the, uh, officially I can all I can talk about with Game of Thrones. I've never seen a second of it. Um, <laughs> Much like I, so, I've never seen Ghostbusters too, uh, so it all works you, out. And uh, which is disappointing because you had at least six hours since we had that tweet discussion, and you couldn't have anything more important to do in your life than to watch Ghostbusters too. Even if um, I had nothing to do, I'm <laughs> not watching. I mean, you grew up in the '80s. I mean, very like your your hit rate on good sequels was like almost too insignificant to be worth repeating. I mean, I, I mean, well, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. It probably we'll get to that as part of the topic when we talk about the movie but i do want to hear about your trip abroad because we haven't really talked much so you were in oh, germany i was in germany. Germany. i was in hamburg germany okay so uh for conferencing i assume yes yeah, so uh one of our good friends thomas horky from uh from the from macromedia university in hamburg invited um both both me and uh, several members of the the IACS board, which for those of you who are uninitiated, that's the International Association for Communication and Sport, uh, to this conference, the, which was a conference on, on sport economy and technology. And so I gave a keynote speech on virtual reality in sports. So that was fun. I had a good time with it. Got a chance to listen to a lot of really interesting um, you know, presentations and talks on various things, everything from esports to uh, virtual, other virtual reality related things to drones, a lot of cool drone stuff. Um, and so it was cool. I mean, I got to, 
get to spend some time with Ann Pegarero, Lauren Smith, and and um, you know, I mean, it was just it was a good uh, it was a good group of people out there, a uh, good group of people from Germany and from the surrounding areas, and uh, you know, I had, I had a great time. Awesome. So you got to have good beer or wine recommendations after spending a, a week or so in Germany and abroad. I'm hoping. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Okay. Beer wise, I mean, um, well, one of the things you learn once you've made a second trip to Germany, I think, is that the beer is all a lot of it's very much the same. Um, right. Like because the Germans have this purity law with their beer, which is both a blessing and a curse. Like it's a blessing because the beer all tastes very fresh. It's a curse because the the cornucopia of varieties that we have for beer in the U.S., IPAs and pails and wheat beers and all of this, they really just don't exist in, in broad number in Germany. I mean, um, I would say the, you know, I mean, I had a, I had a Dunkel uh, at, the, uh, at the Hofbrau House, which isn't even a, a Hamburg beer it's a, i mean it's a it's an establishment that comes out of munich um you know and that was probably the best tasting beer that i had they were all taste they all tasted good but i don't know if i have a whole lot to add to our list i mean i had the what is it, like the konigs lager um which is just basically like any other lager uh but it just tasted slightly fresher i guess so i that's what i would say it's 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 an interesting place to drink i know my body was not prepared for all of that beer to the point <laughs> that i had to kind of switch to wine Okay. On the last day, but what's, it's good because uh, Hamburg actually had a lot of really good wine options as well. It, I, I've always wondered that, you know, I have friends who um, who've traveled abroad, traveled to Germany, traveled to France. And obviously, you know, one of the I, I've heard how relatively, especially compared to the U.S., inexpensive you know, beer yeah. and wine are there, you know, um, incredibly cheap. And I, and I always wonder like, is German beer is Italian wine is French wine. Like, yes, it's good. But is it one of those things where it's really significantly better than you can get in the U S or is it just kind of like, like a psychosomatic thing? Like you're in France. So the wine and it's everywhere. So the wine tastes better in Italy or in Germany mm. with the beer. Is that, I know, think, I'm, Okay, I, I have an answer to this because I've actually awesome. thought about this. So I think it's different for a couple of different reasons. Um, so on the wine front, uh, certainly it's palate-driven, but I, I do think that the the wine-growing regions of Italy and France produce consistently the best-tasting wines. And that's taking into account all the other very good wine-tasting regions around the world. What makes it special at least in italy i've never been to france so i can't really comment there but in italy you walk into a restaurant in italy and you order wine um you know if you're a tourist you'll order a bottle of wine and if you figured out the the way the locals do it they order a pitcher of the house wine okay and, and a pitcher of the house wine will be like three euro for a, a liter which, which as an american you're thinking like the house wine a pitcher oh this is basically boxed zinfandel or something right yeah let's like, like oh yeah, give me give me the the bartles and james or you know, whatever <laughs> but no it's actually really good wine and and what you learn in italy it's like of a, a, a italian grapes that go towards wine production something like uh like 45 or 50 percent of the grapes actually go towards the the house wines okay. uh you know towards these basically these huge casks that they fill um and it's it's not labeled there's no label on it necessarily it's just the wine that they put on the table with dinner and so uh it's the same thing to some degree in germany in terms of the beer is so plentiful you know you can walk in and you can get um you know a half liter of beer for four euro you know maybe maybe four and a half euro which you know equates out to you know like five and a half dollars or something mm -hmm. like that in the u.s i mean uh and i do think that there's a fresher taste uh in germany and i think that you know to some degree it's a little less complicated you're going to get a light beer or you're going to get a dark beer or you're going to get a rattler um, and maybe, maybe in some spots you're going to get a wheat beer or a, a, a white beer, I guess it would be, but, but by and large, you know, all of the IPA options and things like that, that we have in the U S you don't see at least at, in restaurants and places where you're just going in and having food. Gotcha. So, um, sim for simplicity's sake and for freshness's sake, I think that perhaps Germany has advantages, but I really like the variety that you get in the U S I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, I've grown used to it. 
Gotcha. So um, I did not go. Like I said, I went to a broad to the People's Republic of Vermont over the week, over the in our hiatus, and uh, we were we were doing our Deadhead impersonation with the Avett Brothers. We did uh, shows in back to back nights in back to back states with our six year old in tow. She did awesome, um, and we went because it was the show was in Shelburne, the future home of the Lake Monsters, but also our favorite venue. Like it's an outdoor venue. Really good space, good food trucks. It's a Ben and Jerry sponsored event, so they give out free Ben and Jerry's, which is pretty pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, the only bummer of the show was that it rained all day and it was like fifty five degrees. So I've been outdoors and rain con. I've been rained on in concerts before, but it's usually like the big thunderstorm that comes through and like just soaks you to the bone. But then it stops and you dry off and and you go on with your day. This was raining like from the moment we left. Uh, New York state all the way up until like the last two songs of the encore. It was just that kind of steady between misty and like light rain all day. Um, but so we did, so we, we, we were able to, to make a couple beer stops. And so my beer for tonight is the old standby switchback ale in the awesome bottle. Uh, nice. le- left, got a case, got a case of that at the brewery. Um, incidentally, the brewery for switchback is about a block away from the world's tallest filing cabinet. See, that's do we need a world's tallest filing cabinet? Like who? you know, it's it's awesome. So we so we have become we've started. Um, my wife actually has an Instagram. If you're interested in this, it's find more weird more without the uh, the e. We stopped at our travels for concerts for family stuff. We tracked down uh, weird roadside attractions like the world's tallest filing cabinet, like the replica of Stonehenge made out of foam in Virginia, that type of stuff. And so you know, it, it's probably. I'm bad at estimating height. I would say probably like 50 feet tall and it looks like it could be like an old utility pole, but it's just filing cabinet, filing cabinet, filing cabinet, filing cabinet straight up. It's pretty cool. Um, Is this all one continuous thing or is, are they welded together? Yeah. Oh yeah. They look screwed or welded together. Like it's, it's intentional. I I, I don't think it was somebody put a file and it's on a base. So it's not like somebody like put, like randomly put a filing cabinet in the parking lot and somebody else looked up and said, Hey, I've got one of those and put it on there and became communal. So it definitely looks organized. They don't have the backstory for the world's tallest filing cabinet. And frankly, I don't want to know it. Like it's some things are best left to the imagination. Um, but uh, so the real beer, the wow. real beer uh, get of this week of this break for me in Vermont was I picked up a four pack of Hetty Topper. Uh, which is an, a double IPA put out by the Alchemist, very very famous as a uh, a beer that people will like chase trucks down and grab. Um, and so I grabbed two four packs of that, one for a friend of mine and one for me. And I'm not drinking it right now because I only have four of them. So like it's a very like dole it out like like sp- kind of a special occasion deal. But it is. It's like we so in previous trips we have gone to Stowe where the brewery is and they deliver special certain days to certain stores. And like, there's a limit, like the store we went to, you could get one four pack of Hetty topper. And like, when they're gone, they're gone. And when we went this last time we went on delivery day and they were sold out. So we go to dinner, we go to our, our uh, a restaurant we like in Stowe, uh, Picasso's pizza. If you're ever interested, if you're going to see the Lake monsters play football, yeah, um, yeah. but, uh, and they, they, they look and they have like, we love it because they have switched back on the menu and we look and they have Hetty topper on the menu. I'm like, I can order this in a restaurant, like a, like a commoner, really? And so I order it and they bring it out and it's double IPA and it's a, it's an unfiltered double IPA. So they encourage you to drink it out of the can because the thought being, if you pour it out, a lot of people would get freaked out by the yeast and the sediment and the stuff that sometimes you can see in an unfiltered beer. And I asked like, can we buy this here? I told them I was from out of town and they said, no, but you can go, there's a market across the street and luckily they had it. They had it in, but they had one a one four pack limit. So I go in, buy for me. My wife goes in, buys another four pack, so we can bring home to a friend of mine. Um, but it was truly, truly an excellent beer. Like one of those that like lives up to the hype of it, lives up to the uh, to to the thrill of the chase to find it. So um, maybe for our sixth season finale, I'll break one out and uh, and have it and, and have it on the air. So. Sounds like I need to just venture up there. Like I need to do, I need to do a Moritz Walsh like um, 
up yeah. state western New York sojourn and Northe- northeast, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know when that's going to happen, but Well, uh, I'm well, I'm making my 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 Bloomington debut at the end of point. April. But that's so. that doesn't involve me going anywhere is the issue. <laughs> I mean, I am going I am going to Boston uh, at the beginning of November. That's a little okay. ways away from you, though. I guess that is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're literally down the street. I mean, it's the entire left length of New York and Massachusetts. But technically speaking, you're just down the road. I mean, it looks like a short distance on the map. <laughs> <laughs> One, in- yeah, that's like three inches. So how far can it be? So how? Uh, what What are we gonna do on this show? Like you, you. <laughs> You opened Pandora's gate with uh, I, I am, the, I, I, the listener questions here today. So, so uh, as I said on Facebook, ask listeners for topics, they said. It'll be a good idea, they said. Um, I put it out there as we usually do. You know, we, uh, uh, you know if, you're, if you're familiar with the show, you know we put out a call for topics and we say we will spend at least one minute on it. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. So my students, my former students there, see, that's the thing. Like I'm now friends with a lot of my former students because they graduated and have since friend me on friend of me on Facebook and following each following we're following each other. And so now they're seeing this and you know, I can't fail them so they can be kind of, you know, posing these questions so let's just right. get to let, let's just let, let's you know what let's get rid let's let's handle these kind of not to say in quick notion but hey, like, we said we said a minute I've, I've got my stopwatch out you've okay. got your stopwatch out um so let's start with uh anthony dolce uh recent oswego grad great young broadcaster too um hire him if you're looking for a play-by-play guy or a radio guy he asks what's the difference between a cheeseburger and a cheeseburger sub which left you perplexed because I'm guessing you don't have cheeseburger subs or have never heard of the cheeseburger not, not, sub? Not within that nomenclature, no. Okay, so um, my understanding, so there's, it, it's an Oswego sub, Oswego sub shop, a very, air quotes, famous. I mean, it's well known in, in my college town. And they have, uh, they're very well known for the cheeseburger sub. And it is, I've never had it. I've never actually eaten there. Um, but That's apparently fine. I, find, I find that hard to believe you I, seem like the kind of guy who'd eat anything. I, oh, I would, I, it, it's not for, not for lack of interest. It's more for lack of, because of my commute, I rarely eat a lot of meals out at school. Fair. So that's all it is. Um, but no, I would eat anything, but it's, uh, it, it, it so it's not a like cheeseburger patties on a sub roll. It's basically kind of like a loose meat sub with, Ground beef, cheese, lettuce, the fixings of a cheeseburger. A loose meat sandwich is not a is not a burger. No, no, it's absolutely not. A cheeseburger is a cheeseburger. It's on a bun. It's got the form of a patty or even a square if you're going Wendy's. And a cheeseburger sub is a sub. That's pretty. I mean, I guess I'm okay with this because, like, there's there's a there's such a thing called cheeseburger pizza, and it's obviously right. not a che- unless you're having the version that actually puts a McDonald's cheeseburger. On the pizza, which I don't know if you've seen that one before. I but, haven't, and I don't know if I want. I, I, I mean, I'd eat it. I'm not a puts, monster. It puts but. the cheeseburger and all of the fries on the pizza, and then spreads cheese over them, and then bakes it. I mean, I can get behind that, I guess, but um, <laughs> but, but I would say this. But that is doesn't not, make it a cheeseburger. I mean, that makes it. You know, right. Well, that's else. my point. It's my, my point is that the, the the cheeseburger pizza sounds no more connected to the cheeseburger than this cheeseburger sub, which just sounds like a ground beef sandwich with cheese. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so, uh, kind of related to that, another recent graduate, uh, Morgan Atlin, asked, "Can I ask if cereal is considered soup?" And see, obviously, no, but this is all uh, uh, related to that infernally dumb question is a hot dog a sandwich like this is what this is what this whole stupid Internet debate has brought us as a culture. It's the, you know, arguing different elements of food. And for anybody who didn't listen to season five of this, I think is when we answer this. But you you absolutely Knock this out of the park with the answer of all time. A hot dog is not a sandwich because the hot dog is the piece of meat. Yeah. Nailed it. So, well, and then, I mean, is, is cereal soup just seems like, like I, everybody who watches this show or sees me in real life knows that they're, even though I'm not technically part of them, there is no greater supporter of millennials in, in higher education than me. Right. Um, is is cereal soup is the kind of question that causes me to 
ask whether I've been doing the right thing all of these years <laughs> with millennials, okay? That's the sort of thing that will make me get crotchety and old very fast. Right, right. Um, the cereal soup. Do you have a favorite cereal or soup? My favorite cereal is no longer made. Uh, it is Smurfberry Crunch, which, which I... <laughs> Which I think pre- precedes you by a, maybe a year or two. Is, uh, it, is it related to Booberry? Because it sounds no, like no, no, it's no, a... no. It's the closest thing that there is. If you've ever had the the Oops All Crunch Berries cereal, you know how like Captain Crunch has the Crunch Berries, right? So if you've so occasionally they'll have a special version where it's just a box full of Crunch Berries and there's no Captain Crunch in it. Right. It's not quite the same, but it's about as close as you're going to get in today's cereal world. Okay. okay. So it's like they were like it was like I don't even know what Captain Crunch what that material is. It's it's like nominally it's like, corn. It's like insulation is what it is or something. <laughs> it's delicious, but yeah, it's delicious, but it's just like you you really that's where you feel like the you know Monsanto finally got you. Um, <laughs> but um. The the crunch berries were made of that, but they were they had a a really heavy kind of fake berry flavor to them. But they were smaller, like the like and I mean sorry the Smurfberry Crunch crunch berries are like bigger. They're like that size. Right. Uh, the crunch berries were almost they were like they were like tricks size, but they Ooh. weren't tricks. Okay, so that that's my favorite cereal. No longer made of the of the active cereals. Oh man, I mean. I don't have a I, I have a favorite option, but it's two cereals mixed together. Okay. Can can you guess what two cereals mixed together it is? It's just two. Just two. I'm gonna throw out a guess because it's actually my favorite mix. It's gonna be okay. cinnamon toast crunch and golden grams. No, no, it's not that. It's actually okay. cocoa puffs and Reese's puffs mixed together. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I think <laughs> I can really I, damn good. <laughs> I can get behind that. The Golden Graham Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Golden Graham's is my favorite cereal. Okay. And um, but what I'm excited about is Halloween. I don't know if this is how your way too, but at, at our stores they have limited runs of Count Chocula, Booberry, and Frankenberry. Right. Uh, and they come back out and Count Chocula is like that's first ballot Hall of Famer. That's like a Mike Trout level of cereal to me. I was felt I was felt it was too chocolatey. I know that seems sacrilegious, but um, I mean that's the point of Count Chocula. I mean, I, right? But it's like there's you can have too much of something. Like I mean, um, uh, I can't even think of a good example right now. Go ahead. I got. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I think that's good. But then, what, what was really? Well, I mean, I mean that those threads got out of hand. My, my Facebook threads got out of hand in a hurry. But Morgan also asked us to talk about the underrepresentation of Latinos in today's media. Um. True. I, I mean, guess. yes. I, um. Yeah. What do you? I mean, I guess in media, just like completely across the board or in yeah, particular I, areas like in sports media or i mean i mean i mean in sports media we kind of saw an interesting case happen this week with um blanking on the the sideline reporter's name um sergio yes i forget his last name right which is you know kind of proving the point i guess um but um, I don't know. Like, like, so this is unrelated to representation of Latinos. Sorry, Morgan, but kind of playing off of that, I did read an interesting piece in the New York Times today uh, about the return of Will and Grace, which is coming back, I think, either later this month or next month to NBC. And basically looking at and, and kind of the central question of the piece was how Will and Grace is going to be received because it was so kind of groundbreaking when it first came out, you know, that to have two gay lead characters and and that that representation and that was kind of a big deal but now you now in 2017 that's not as big a deal um and you know the, it could you know is it going to face criticism for being like the privileged rich white people uh representation of that community and, you know how they, they didn't know it was kind of raising question but i did find it interesting of you know how is there going to be is there a potential for any backlash to something like that and i don't know i didn't watch will and grace uh, my wife did I didn't, um, so I don't yeah, I have say, I've, I've, seen, I've seen as many uh, minutes of Will and Grace as I've seen at Ghostbusters too. Okay, um, I, I mean, I know the general conceits of the show, and it seems popular. I don't. I, I know less than you do. Look, okay. I, here's the thing. I mean, will there be criticism of this show? I think I can answer that question with a question. Isn't there criticism of everything yes. now? Like, I, I, I don't think it's possible for anything to exist without there being criticism for it being not enough of something or too much of something or wrong or 
whatever. And look, maybe those criticisms have merit. Maybe they don't. I'm worn out by them all at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm even, I mean, um, you know, like uh, there's, there's just always something to complain about. Uh, there's yeah. always something to point out as being inadequate. And maybe there's logical reasons for that. That's fine. Um, but I think that we've reached a point where um, large sections of the audience start to tune out the complaints because they all just end up as white noise mm-hmm. or, or maybe m- m- diverse noise. How about that? White noise <laughs> would, would be, would, would, would be the wrong phraseology, but they all end up as, as um, just kind of a wash. And right. I think that uh, that's a, that's a discredit to the, what the legitimate criticisms or, or concerns that are out there, but because Twitter is basically one big self-interest machine and that's where most of the criticism both like uh, formulates and metastasizes and, and spreads from place to place. Uh, I think a lot of stuff gets lost. And so that would be my response to, to a lot of that, I guess is um, you can, I don't know the will and grace thing. I didn't even thought about it in those terms, which, you know, there's probably people that have given a great deal of thought of it. I just wonder at some point uh, criticizing art and criticizing decision-making processes as far as art uh, starts to become a little counterproductive because um, it's kind of like the review process with manuscripts in academia. Mm -hmm. Like at some point, the manuscript ceases to be what the authors were looking to do and, and starts to be what the reviewers wanted to see. Yeah. And there's a certain, I mean, I mean, we've obviously talked about this before, but there's a certain outrage culture um, on social media and it kind of can snowball in uh, on in social media, especially on Twitter. And yeah, it, it just becomes, it becomes, it becomes exhausting. It becomes that, that idea of, you know, sometimes you, you it, it can be easy to log on to social media and think, okay, now what am I supposed to be mad about today? What am I supposed to be outraged about today? And it it's exhausting. It's tiring. It's tough to and it, and I think it makes it tougher to maintain the level of you know care out you know legitimate outrage, legitimate concern about the important stuff because you kind of get worn down by being you know having an opinion and 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 being mad you know being mad about everything or being told what to be mad about it can be easy to tune out it can be easy to kind of let it go and and anyway i don't know now look i also think to some degree um there's a we have a weird kind of national versus local dichotomy when it comes to news and sports like where and that, this is something i really don't know the answer to but the the question about underrepresentation of latinos kind of kind of made me think about this to some degree like um when we say underrepresentation are we talking about the national audience or are we talking about local uh broadcast that's true because yeah. um, if it's if it's local, what do we what do we base the representation factors on? Is it percentage of population? Is it percentage of um, of shows that are that are devoted to or or aimed at particular audiences? I mean, I'm I'm always curious what the rationale or the ratio is, and I you know, and I mean, um, the national um, the national broadcast audience has kind of always been considered to be representative of the demographics of the society as a whole but then i think the society as a whole is not really a society as a whole like you know we might live in a in a in a culture of 300 million people that's that's relatively diverse but most people don't live in particularly diverse areas and so mm-hmm. i did, i don't know that that idea has has always fascinated me and i think social media is fascinating with it because it's the same sort of deal where you've got this diverse uh population of people and yet the the network samples of people and who they interact with it tends to be very homogenous. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I that's it. There's all kinds of I don't I don't have the answers to any of it, but I think that the philosophical questions behind it are very interesting. Yeah, I agree. So a uh, friend of the show and official sister of me, Amy Moritz, has a couple questions. Uh, one, best cure for chest congestion when it feels as if an elephant is sitting on her chest. Um, I know she's sick. So Amy, if you're listening to this, feel better. Um, I've always been a Robitussin and a Vicks guy. I think Vicks VapoRub is the miracle drug of miracle drugs. I think that Vicks VapoRub could cure cancer. 
probably not, but I wow. feel like it should. Um, I don't know. That's, you know, Vicks Vapor Rub has always been kind of my, my, one of my magic elixirs. Um, I tend to be a Robitussin guy mm-hmm. too. Um, I don't know. I've discovered Mucinex seems to be a magic, yeah. a, a magic thing. Um, I don't know. Do you have, do you have any, any cure-alls? Except, um, I mean, we are both doctors, so this is a perfectly legitimate question for yes, us. Yes, yeah, this is exactly what we're here for. Uh, no, I don't, actually. But generally, nothing works for me. Um, and I've been through all of the remedies you just highlighted. I um, I would say take uh, – I, I normally would will have a cup of tea and maybe, um, you know, generally uh, – if I'm going to have liquor, I'll have some tequila because that seems <laughs> to work. But that's about it. I mean, actually, you know what? I, I take that. Do back. you mix your tequila and your tea? No, but I, what I was, you know, I'll, I'll go back on that. Te- tequila is not the right answer here. What's the right answer here is uh, is warmed rum. Ooh, uh, okay. So if you make like a, a hot toddy, uh, that's that's a pretty good chest buster, uh, I right. think, for this sort of a, a scenario. And um, you know, that's, it gives you the kind of warming sensation you need to get rid of that stuff. Um, and my sister also asked how Jamel Hill became public enemy number one. Uh, we, 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 I think we know that. Well, you um, know, you know what I think, and you wrote a very nice piece on this, which I, I highly recommend yeah. everybody go to sportsmediaguy.com um, and, and read that. But I actually, I think the answer here, the reason why she became public enemy number one is ESPN. Yeah, um, you know, and I and I have a real bone to pick with ESPN uh, on this topic. Um, I, go ahead, caller. Uh, th- thanks. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> um, I no. Here's the thing: um, whether or not you agree or disagree with Jamel Hill, um, and when whether or not you think Jamel Hill's a political commentator that should be listened to, like I mean, I don't know. Like it's kind of an interesting thing where. You know this the whole argument about you know stick to sports or we should be able to talk about political things like one of the things that gets left out of that debate sometimes is you know who do you as an individual want to get your political commentary from like who are you interested who do you feel has a uh you know a like an informed opinion on things but mm-hmm. regardless of any of that the the fact of the matter is Jamel Hill has been kind of put out there as a political commentator as a social commentator, maybe more to the point by ESPN. It's, it's the nature of the show that she co-hosts. Uh, it's certainly something that they've cultivated in her as a writer. Um, you know, the, the, the tweets that she sent out were an obvious response to the Atlantic piece uh, that I think Tanahishi Coates wrote the previous week. Um, so if you're going to do that, and if you're going to cultivate that, and if you're going to like, you know, provide Jamel Hill with that platform, then don't turn around and basically say, oh, her tweets were inappropriate and, and she's apologized for her actions. Like that's a, that's, that's frankly chicken. Right. If you're ESPN, that is, that is a, and, and actually Will Leach uh, published something this evening where he tried to make sense of like who ESPN has suspended or punished for, for certain actions on social media or elsewhere uh, and and as he pointed out, there's really no linear pattern to any of this. It, it seems very, very much whichever way the wind blows. But I, I really right. think that, um, you know, whatever the whatever the thought process of of you know or what you think of what Jamel Hill said, the the fact that her employer first gives her the platform and then apologizes when she uses the platform, it, to me that's that's kind of inexcusable, and that's the kind of like weak corporate BS that ends up generating a lot more bad publicity than it's in than the intent that it had, which was to save the bad publicity from happening. Well, and it's the thing too, like if ESPN hadn't put out that first apology, nobody would have, this wouldn't have, the story would have died. Like it wouldn't have been a story. Like she tweeted out, people got, you know, uh, people got, were reacting to it and calling for her to be punished before ESPN responded, whatever. But it just would have like been swallowed up and it would have become one of those ephemeral Twitter things that maybe Clay Travis and, and Jason Whitlock start complaining about, but that, you know, doesn't really reach a critical mass. But by putting out that like apology for it, now all of a sudden it, it raises 
it raises it to another level and it gets, you know, to the White House briefing the other day, which I, which I also found interesting. I mean, I wrote in the piece, and I'll link to it in show notes. Basically, like my big fear on it is I don't care about the politics of it. I don't care. You know, anyone, everyone listening here knows where I stand politically and knows where I stand on this issue. But like the big fear I have is the chilling effect that it, it, it comes with when the when the president's spokesman said something like this is a fireable offense. It's like and I wrote the piece like, what about the next writer who was thinking about saying something like this or writing something like this and reporting on this? Do they do they pull an adjective? Do they maybe think ah, I won't write this essay this week? I'll save it for later. And then it never gets written. And it leads to that that kind of self-censorship chilling effect. But I guess I was wondering, I don't know. Who asked the question in the White House briefing and why, like, why? Like, I don't know. It seems like a weird question, like, that that an ESPN, you know, a not, you know, this is not Bono saying this. This is Jamel Hill, who's pretty, you know, well-known in our circles, but she's not, like, you know, a, a national figure right. being, outside of sports, makes on Twitter, you know, says stuff that frankly a lot of writers have been saying and a lot of you know this is it was not it's not like the what you know calling donald trump a white supremacist is like this whoa nobody's ever said anything like this before um so i don't know i found it weird that you know in 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 thinking about it like who asked the question why was the question asked like i don't know it just felt i don't know it felt i mean look i here's the i get what you're saying it's uh, i would take not that I don't take it seriously, because I think it was it was completely out of line by Sarah Huckabee Sanders to to even address the topic. But mm-hmm. this is also the same White House press briefing that today saw the same woman uh, or the same spokeswoman um, come out and say that she thought James Comey um, had violated the Privacy Act and 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 had broken the law through that, which was entirely not not only entirely not how the Privacy Act works, but it's completely out of bounds for a White House spokesperson to be making those sort of statements about a Department of Justice employee. Right. So like, I guess my point here is we need to, to some degree, it's funny because there's all this talk about normalizing the presidency and, and how you know, it'll normalize Trump's behavior. But the, the 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 people who have been most vocal I'm trying to be very careful about how I say this the people who have been the most vocally supportive of Jamel Hill and the most outraged at at uh, at the White House for making that statement are also the same people who consistently point out that everything that this White House does is entirely unpresidential and unprecedented and and I think we need to look at it from that perspective I agree with the chilling effect thing but I also think this is not I don't see this as being long-term damage because I don't think anybody's going to take this white house's press approach, uh, to heart moving forward because it is, it is like they beamed in off another planet where they don't have media or cameras and just <laughs> thought, Oh, we'll just act this way in front of the cam. I mean, there's no precedent for any of this. This is yeah. like, you, you wouldn't see like a bad athletic department do most of the shit that this group does. Right. No, that's a, that, that, that is a good point on this. Um, uh, it's great. It, you know, the, the, the whole story and ESPN just, you know, there there's reporting out there tonight as we record this on Thursday that they had sought to not have Jamel Hill on the air yesterday. And Michael Smith, her co-host on the sick on SC six, you know, emphatically said, if you take her off, I'm not going on. Wait, where, did, where did you hear this? So I saw, I have to find this. So um, I saw it. Uh, it might've been on the Hill. I don't know. Let me find it um, in a minute. But the reporting was that they were going to not have her on sports center last night. And Michael Smith said that if, if you take her off, I'm not on. And that uh, ESPN also asked two other black anchors, two other black hosts to go on instead of them or instead of Jamel Hill yesterday. And they both refused too. Um, ESPN's denying this. So, you know, your mileage may vary on the reporting and I have to find the source. Like I said, I saw it zip through my, my Twitter feed while my kid was at soccer practice. Um, yeah, my kid's playing soccer, by the way. Wow. Um, yeah, she was, uh, uh, her first game is Saturday. Her first practice was tonight. Um, she's playing center defense, uh, and left defense. She looks pretty solid on the, uh, uh, on the back line. Um, nice. Yeah. So, um, all right. So we have two, so we have one other reader question and we can use that and then we'll, we'll do a little football talk. 
Uh, but this gets to the Ghostbusters 2 phenomenon that we've referenced several times. Uh, but it's Brandon at Brandon M. Bender uh, replying to us. Uh, his good topic, this is referring to Matt Zimmerman and why he's such a hater of my favorite movies, particularly Ghostbusters 2. Uh, and Matt replied uh, with a comment basically saying how Ghostbusters 2 is terrible. Um, you have not seen this movie. Shame on you. Um, it is, I own it. Uh, I own it in uh, digital format and I own it in, in DVD format. Um, my is, I'm not saying it's one of my wife's favorite movies, but she looks fondly upon it. Um, now go, important to note, Ghostbusters is the original Ghostbusters, not the Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd version is right. my, fa- is my favorite movie. hundred really? percent. My favorite movie of all time, bar none. Um, and the Ghostbusters, the Melissa McCarthy, Kristen uh, Wiig version that came out what, two last summer, yeah, much very. I mean, polarizing movie, but really, really funny. Ghostbusters two is very clearly the, the the third, you know, by far. It's the it's the Godfather three of the Ghostbusters, oeuvre. Um, it's like you were saying, it's an eighty sequel. You know, it was very clearly. Um, my wife will defend it to the death. Like she likes it. You know. Full, it's one of those movies that I think she loves. I'm, I'm speaking for her because she doesn't listen to our podcast. Um, but fully knowing that what kind of movie it is, like she, it's, she's, I don't. It's one of those movies like I don't think she would ever say it's as good or better than the first one. But she enjoys it. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you, you mentioned earlier the idea of '80s movies uh, and '80s movie sequels, and you know, it's kind of the quintessential one where like Ghostbusters was the runaway hit, so they kind of bring bring the band back, and it just yeah, they try, it, 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 they they veer into ridiculous really hurry really fast. You can tell kind of Bill Murray is not fully invested in the story. Um, but in terms of 80 sequels, you mentioned, can you think of any that were good? I mean, the only one I can think of is back to the future too. 80s aliens aliens count as a sequel. Uh, let's see here. Um, I'm more thinking of the like comedy. Oh, you want to stick to that. Okay. Well, that's so so, yeah, not like the star Wars trilogy, you know, um, but you're right. But like, you know, Ghostbusters two not not good um i mean back to the future 2 was fine it was it wasn't terrible it was it, it had some good parts to it yeah. i think i mean I, I mean as matt will point out the worst thing about back to the future 2 is for years everybody pointing out this is the day that marty mcfly traveled to in the future and true it really wasn't until that one day um but let's see uh weekend at bernie's 2 no i didn't know there was a weekend at bernie's uh caddyshack 2 definitely oh, that not. Was- Terrible. Oh my um, God. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, Temple of Doom. A huge letdown. But that's not a comedy. That's not. But it, but it's, yeah, that was a pretty good film. It was a dark film. It was because everybody was getting divorced during it. But you know, sure. I mean, it was it was fine. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. To me, the the drop off from Raiders of the Lost Ark to Temple of Doom is more significant. I think. Um. I don't know. This, everything in the mid '80s was dark. I mean, every every movie that came out had some like weird darkness to it. It was very odd. Uh, what about okay, Lethal Weapon Two? That was a really good film, and that arguably was, yeah. an, an improvement on its predecessor. That that was Beverly Hills Cop Two, also very solid. Um, I don't know if quite as good as the first one, but you know, not bad. You know, it gave us right. the Axel F theme, which is good. Which is kind of like the, like if you're thinking quintessential '80s music, I think that that is. Oh yeah, that, the, the Axel F theme is is definitely quintessential '80s. It's right up there with, uh, with the Miami Vice theme. Oh yeah, um, you know it's uh, yeah. I mean it's man '80s 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 theme songs, <laughs> the, the the Knight Rider theme song. Yes. I mean they all kind of fit into the same milieu. Right. Uh, yeah. The. Uh, the yeah the eighties were were interesting times for so many of that show like Short Circuit too like you know for for like the yeah but Short that, Circuit wasn't very good let alone Short Circuit two you know those are those movies that like I want to look back fondly at like Short Circuit and I do look back at it really fondly I remember watching it I think we had it taped off of TV so I remember watching it a lot and enjoying it but like. Yeah, kind of when you're trying to think of it, whether it's a you know, in, with any kind of distance or objectivity, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't you know, work. No, like how many Karate Kids did there end up being? I mean, 
in the theaters, I think three, and I'm sure okay. there were some direct to VHS versions as well. Right. But it is funny now that, you know, we're talking about this and looking back at like all the sequels from our youth and from the eighties. And then you hear the general complaint about Hollywood now is they just want franchises and, and, and sequels. And it's like, like that's nothing new. Like they've been making it, they've been cranking out yeah. crappy sequels for a very long time. I think, okay. So apparently there were, there were, there were four, um, there were four, uh, total karate kids. There were karate kid, karate kid, part two, karate kid, part three. Okay. And then there was the next karate kid, which had Hillary Swank in it. Oh, that's right. And then there was a remake with Jaden Smith and with, Jackie with, well, Chan. Yeah. Uh, which... In 2010, but that doesn't count. And then, um, but no, I, I think the difference between now and the eighties was we had no other choice. Like the, the reason that summer blockbusters existed was because all the television shows were in reruns. Like you didn't right. want to watch the same episodes of TV over again. So you had a captive audience. And I think because, uh, because of the lack of CGI, because of the lack of, of cable, because of the lack of home movies, uh, I think people just enjoyed the spectacle of film more. And honestly, I mean, a lot of those movies in the eighties were actually really well written. I mean, we think of them as like just action movies, but you know, like a movie, like, like a watch a watch lethal weapon or watch die hard or watch Mm -hmm. Beverly Hills cop. And those are really well written comedy action films. And, you know, it's hard to find, things that have similar writing these days i mean i think the writing has just gone way downhill because um you know there's there's just such this emphasis in hollywood on on explosions and 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 excitement because they think that's what people want and and they've just completely blown by the idea that what people really want is something that's actually pretty well written as well as having those explosions and fun stuff well and the fun stuff and the the growth and ability of of special effects and cgi and green screens and all that are so much better that you you don't have to rely on a script or anything like that you can kind of you know not i don't ever want to say somebody half-assed as a script because the work that goes into it but you don't have to have that well-honed script that maybe a movie would have to rely on because you can make do with effects. You can make do with, you know, um, I don't know, you know, special, special effects and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So, all right. So, um, kind of our main topic, 45 minutes in, I was going to say, we're almost done. We're almost done here, but I did want to bring up. So you had tweeted out something that, that got us talking about it. And we're talking about the start of the football season. And, um, you know, my team's sitting in first place, so I'm sitting pretty loving life. Um, yeah, let me know how that goes for you. Um, I'm, I'm fully expecting – hey, th- I'm fully expecting 2-14, and 14, and this past Sunday was one of those two. Um, yeah. So um, the Bills beat the Jets, obviously, because um, I really think, you know, a lot of teams could beat the Jets. A lot of college teams – no, no college team. The Jets stink, basically. Um, but you had tweeted out – you had uh, quote-tweeted somebody from Mike, something from Michael David Smith. And my, uh, who is from Pro Football Talk, and he wrote, he tweeted, I'm quoting here, the Colts are a terrible franchise masquerading as a decent franchise because they had the first pick when Luck and Peyton entered the draft. Your reply, nah, the Browns and Lions are terrible franchises. The Colts are kind of like the Bills, historically mediocre with short eras of dominance. And that just struck me because, and, and, and I'll admit, it's because, the the roles have been so stark for the past you know fifteen years. While the Bills have been missing the playoffs, this has been the Eric Colts kind of era of dominance. Um, so I mean, you guys, your team had a really terrible opening week. Um, so kind of talking, you know, I guess we can talk about the, your 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 thought and kind of where the Colts are and well, kind of what it's like being a Colts fan now. I mean, I guess look, I, the, the it's hard to know how to conceptualize the Colts because because at the end of the day the Colts have only been in Indianapolis since 1984 right and so you end up with this situation with you know from a franchise perspective you know it's been the same franchise for a long time I mean the ownership chain goes straight through so do you do you look at the Colts from a franchise perspective uh since 84 do you look at them over the course of the entire history of the 
of the team. So, mm-hmm. but I think either way, the Colts really don't, they don't stand out as being a terrible franchise. I think they're like 12th all time in win percentage. So I, I um, current, yeah, I, I have some numbers from when you finish. So. Um, you know, and, and if you look at the Colts and their overall levels of success, they've, they've really, I mean, they, they were the, one of the dominant teams in the 19 or in the, in the 20, the 20, the 20 OOs, whatever, whatever it is. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think that gets lost in the shuffle. And even over the course of the last, say, seven years, they had three eleven and five seasons. They went eight mm-hmm. and eight the last two seasons. Those are not the hallmarks of a terrible franchise. No. And, but I would argue kind of the same thing about the Bills. I mean, the Bills have been stuck forever in neutral, uh, it seems like. But but really, if you go back and look at the franchise, I mean, they've they've never had a season that at least not since the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. where they've had fewer than three wins and that's only happened like once well, yeah um you know they had several years there from the late 80s until the the late 90s where they had double digit wins mm-hmm. and they've you know i mean to some degree not being terrible has been a curse to them because it hasn't allowed them to bottom out and get better right but but they've also been competently enough run that most years they're going to win somewhere between six and nine games and that to me does not stand out as a terrible franchise the way that the teams that i mentioned would stand out as terrible franchises right and i i so i ran when i saw this i i i did some quick numbers and so since the Colts, since 84 since the colts moved to indianapolis the colts are 280 248 280 248 14 playoff uh 14 playoffs in the last 16 years, made the playoffs 17 times, if I counted right. The Bills, 251 and 277, 10 playoff berths, all in that 12-year run. Um, and, yeah, I don't think, you know, the Bills' big problem is that they haven't been terrible. You know, that's, you know, since, you know, since Kelly came from back from the USFL, they haven't, they, they haven't really had that bottom-out year, which kind of this year is almost expected. You know, they're, they're – I know, and, and you know what, what? What's going to be interesting for Buffalo is they start it, it, when they if they don't bottom out this year. If they're like another six, and, like I don't think seven and nine might be a pipe dream. But if they're you know win three or four games before November, you're going to hear a lot of grumbling from fans who want that high draft pick. Like and um and I think Indianapolis, you know, it it, it matters. I think it matters a little less for Buffalo this year because they've got so they've acquired so many picks. In, with, with a lot of the deals with the Sammy Watkins deal with their draft day deal. So they're doing very much the Cleveland thing where they're amassing a lot of draft picks and, you know, using them to either move up or strike big. But, it, you know, the Colts feel like such a weird, almost cautionary tale for the Bills because the Colts bottomed out and, and the suck for luck year and they got Andrew Luck number one. And he is, you know, the franchise quarterback Buffalo hasn't had. But and it's starting to feel like this the Colts as cons- as constant as built right now kind of hit, hit a wall in a way don't you feel that way like like no okay i mean Maybe. what i i mean i think i think where the colts as a cautionary tale come in is they hired the wrong gm who didn't know what he was doing and then didn't get rid of him fast enough and threw away three consecutive drafts okay and, and they did so during the cheap part of andrew luck's career like right you know, the the whole idea is you go out, you draft a franchise quarterback, and you know right away. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's some there's some dipshits in the local media here that try to argue that Andrew Luck isn't that good of a quarterback. And I mean, um, it just it just yes. You want me to go through the 17 quarterbacks my team has had for them? I will take and I, I would take Andrew Luck above all of them. Right. You know. So, but you know, the, the part of the key in being a franchise that's got that sort of a quarterback is you don't waste their early years. You take advantage of the fact that you're paying them, you know, a rookie scale, you, you know, you load up around them and you hope that they, they figure it out in those first few years and that you can take full advantage of, that's what the Seahawks did. You know, the Seahawks with, with Russell Wilson, when they figured out what they had, they took, you know, all advantage of, of that flexibility salary wise and they didn't do it. I mean, the Colts, they hired a guy who didn't know how to evaluate talent, didn't know how to draft talent, and then kept him around for too long. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just it baffles me that they've that, – that, 
it took as long as it did for the Colts to realize that they were making a tremendous mistake. And so now, now you've now Luck's on this huge deal and he's injured and they have no players. And, you know, so it's going to take them a couple of years to get back to where they should be. And, and who knows? They, you know, this is what, ha- this is what didn't happen with Manning. You know, I mean, when they drafted Manning, they were terrible the first year and they, they had him go out and start the second year. They won 12 games or 13 games. And, you know, they, they were a little too green for the playoffs at that point. Um, and then they kind of regressed the following year and uh, Polian said, no, we're not doing this. And he fired Jim Moore and he brought in Tony Dungy and then they built around that. And they were, mm-hmm. they were the, if the Patriots dynasty doesn't arise at that particular moment, we probably remember that Colts team the way we remember the, you know, the giants from the eighties or something like that, not in terms right. of style of play, but in terms of just always being around and being a threat. Right. So, so that's, that's the way I look at it. I just, I just, I just, I take exception to people um, parachuting that sort of opinion in when it's like, there's some legitimately bad franchises out there. And the idea that the Colts have gotten where they've gotten through being lucky is it's lazy from an intellectual right. perspective. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, the Browns are a terrible franchise. The the, the Lions historically, you know, even the Bills are kind of, you know, you, you, you can look at it as like, except for that one little, that 10 year spurt from when they had Kelly Thomas, when they had that, that Super Bowl core, except for that, they've been a really bad franchise. I would, um, I would still argue that there are worse ones. I mean, oh, I, th- I mean, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the Bills in the bottom three or four. I think, I think they're. Well, I mean, you can't have. I mean, you can't be in the bottom three when you had that sustained run that they had from the late '80s through the '90s. You know, well, there's. But, but no, true. But I would also say, I mean, there's just some franchises that just the weight of their historical ineptitude, uh, you know, outweighs. Things. The Cardinals are a great example of this. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals. They they've kind of put it together, but they've still only made the playoffs twice in the last seven years. Right, uh, and you know, and and I mean, the Lions, as you mentioned, are a great example of this. The Jets are an excellent example. Right. Of this. I mean, you know, this these are just these are just not franchises that have ever been particularly well run. And and even even when the Jets, you know, won a Super Bowl, that was a very very fortunate sequence of events that allowed them to get to that point. That was pre merger. You know, I mean. Right. Um, you know, and it's, look, it's not, by no means is it a given that your franchise will always be terrible. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the, I'm trying to think of a, well, I mean, the saints are probably the best example of this. Like the saints were legitimately probably the dog shittiest franchise in all of the NFL for their first 20 years of existence. And, you know, then they, they went to the playoffs a few times, then they slid right back down. Uh, but they've been a consistently good franchise, really, since about the year 2000, mm-hmm. um, when Jim Hazlitt was there in his first year. I mean, from that point forward, that's been a well-run franchise. Um, so, you know, it, it, it is, it's certainly not a situation where uh, you can't change your, your, um, your lot in life, I guess. But I just, to me, it's like there's so many of those franchises throwing the Colts or the Bills down mm-hmm. to that level when, when they've at least been competent, maybe yeah. not maybe not playoff contenders, but at least competent has is that just it doesn't fly. No, that was that was that was a uh, that was a cheap hot take, I thought. Um uh, on the Colts. And so I hope they who they play who who do they have this week? The Cardinals. All right. So interesting. Which has already led I mean the Chuck Pagano's going to be gone at the end of this year. I mean, it, it's it's pretty much a. I don't think there's any question about it. But right. it's been unfortunate because, you know, there was an article written this week about uh, oh Bruce Arians is just a better coach than Chuck Pagano. And and for the people that remember, Pagano's first year in Indy, Arians was his offensive coordinator. Right. And uh, then Pagano went out uh, because of of, uh, of being diagnosed with cancer, and Arians ended up taking over the team and taking them to the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, he left and became the Arizona head coach. And so it's just, it's kind of unfortunate that that's the, the, the narrative that's going into this game, but yeah, right. Cardinals are probably going to win pretty easily. Well, I've got the bills are at, at Carolina, so that's going to be a bloodbath of proportions. I don't even want to think about. Um, yeah, probably. Which I'm, which I'm getting, which is actually, it's kind of nice. To, it's kind of, it's interesting watching football this year because like, 
it was funny. There were a bunch of columns in the in the local media out here this week about like, you know, after the Bills beat the Jets and like, I know I'm, you know, sorry to rain on your parade, Bills fans, but blah blah blah. This game, you know, doesn't really show us anything. And they were so out of touch because like every Bills fan that I know, it was like, okay, they beat the Jets. No one cares. The Jets are terrible. Like we know the Bills are going to suck this year. We kind of want them to suck this year or expecting for them. So it's kind of that. It, it, it's very interesting to watch football this year without that, you know. Now I want to say without hope, but without that expectation of anything happening. So it's like, um, it's really a, a, a weird kind of pressure-free situation of watching football. Um, yeah. But no, they're going to get stomped this week, but good. Um, so I, w- I wish you guys a lot of luck. I I, 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 I wish I'd, you- lo- I'd love to see a surprise Buffalo Bills AFC East title this year. That'd be awesome. If for nothing else, just to, to stick it to the Patriots, that would be great. Um, but... But yeah, so all right, I think we've uh, we've exhausted ourselves, me. our listeners. We've exhausted, me. we've exhausted everybody. Yeah. Um, so uh, so thank you guys for uh, for coming back and for checking us out again. If you're new, if you're back, thanks for uh, for for uh, for sticking out. You, we're on. You can subscribe on iTunes, uh, on Stitcher, um, through your RSS feed of choice. So yeah. No final thoughts, just uh, peace, love, and goodwill towards men. And uh, we'll catch you folks on the flip side. Thanks for listening. So So long. long.